0: Um, So, we are continuing on in our series, and uh, last week we started things off by talking about uh, treasuring God's Word and how important that is, uh, that He honors His Word in the same degree as His name, and uh, therefore we should honor His Word uh, too. It should be of supreme importance to us. We've said that really if we love God truly, then we're going to love His Word, and we're going to want to know it. We're going to want to be changed by it. And the more we know God's Word, the more we know God. That's what we talked about last week. But God doesn't just treasure His Word. He treasures obedience to His Word. And we need to do the same thing. Uh, We need to not just look into his word and read it and know it as important as that is, but we need to actually do something about it. It needs to make a difference in our lives. We need to apply what we read. We need to apply and practice what we know. Uh, the Bible says in James 1.22, but be doers, action of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And when we actually convince ourselves that we can just come to the Bible and depart from it unchanged, if we can just be comfortable knowing what it says, we can memorize everything there is to memorize, and we can recite it, and we know exactly what it's saying, but fail to actually obey it, then we are doing just that. We are deceiving ourselves. We're doing the enemy's job for him when we go at it that way. Because Satan is the great deceiver. Do you agree with that? you recognize that fact? Satan is the great deceiver. Um, He's really good at it. He's been doing it a long time. And he loves to do exactly that. He loves to deceive and to sow deception. But when we, as believers come to the Word of God and say, oh, I know it's important, I recognize its importance, I know that it's God's holy Word, I even believe that it's inspired, and I'm going to read it, I'm going to know it, I'm going to memorize it. But we stop there, if that's what we do, if that's the extent of our interaction with the Word of God, then we're deceiving ourselves. Because you can't truly treasure God's Word without obeying it. You can't love God's word without actually putting it in to practice. And you can't love God, not really, no matter what you might say, no matter how much you might say that you do, no matter how much you sing that you do, you can't really love God without obeying God. Because love for God, love for God results in obedience to God. We need to understand that. We need to believe that. We need to remember that. We need to put that into practice. It's all about action. It's not enough just to know what the Word of God says. You have to do what it says as well. Um, And we understand this in life. I mean, if you're a parent, you know how this works. Um, When our girls were younger, uh, when they were about Aiden's age now, which is four, when they were in that four- and five-year-old range, Um, we would start to give them a little bit more responsibility. Like we would entrust them to do more things. Uh, We felt that they were old enough to start picking up their room, for example. You know, when they got their toys out and the room was a mess, we actually started expecting (gasps) they would actually pick up the stuff and put it back. Terrible parents we were. Terrible and you know, we would actually have them start helping around the house a little bit. We'd give them a little bit of chores. I mean, age appropriate. It's not like we, we told them to go out and, and like redo the roof or something. Um, just little things that we knew they could do. But it was hard for them. They really struggled. And they're not alone. Aiden struggles with that, too. So we would go and we'd say, Hey, uh, Aubrey, Addie, or now Aiden, Aiden, um, we, we told you to do this or that, whatever it was. Pick up your room, throw something away, you know, put your clothes up. Um, you, you haven't done that yet. We told you to do that. And they would inevitably, just about every time, when they got caught with not doing what we had given them to do, they looked up at us with those big brown eyes. And if you've seen Shrek... The second one, I believe, Puss in Boots, when he gives you those kitty eyes, you know, and Shrek just melts away. Uh, It was like that every time. And they would say, I love you. I love you, Mommy. I love you, Daddy. And as if that was just going to make their disobedience go away, right? They figured it out pretty early on. Aiden does the same thing. And our answer was inevitably, well, okay, thank you. We love you too, but... If you love us, you're going to do what we told you to do. And it worked on the reverse. You know, if if they were uh, doing something, they were committing an action, but it was something we had told them not to do, or something negative that we had told them to stop doing, and we called them on it, same thing. I love you, Mommy. I love you, Daddy. Aiden does it to this day. And every time our answer is the same. Okay, okay thank you, that's good, I love you too, but if you love me, if you love us, you'll stop doing what we've told you not to do. Right? We understand that. That's the way it works. Um, There needs to be follow-through. Obedience is the verification, the validation, the proof of love. And in this context... Believer, if you really love God and you really love his word, like you know you should and and like you claim to, then you've got to do what he says. You've got to do what it says. You can't just sit back and read it and think, oh, wow, that's nice. Oh, that's inspirational. No, then it's, it's really no different than any other book at that point. If it's not something that you not only treasure what it says, but you treasure doing what it says. If that's not true of you, if it's not true of me, then we really can't say we treasure God's word or we treasure him. Not fully, not genuinely, anyway. And if you don't take my word for it, um, take the word's word for it. The living word, Jesus himself said this in John 14, 15, pretty pretty straightforward. If you love me, like we all say we do here this morning, or (laughs) I did it too, This afternoon, 2 p.m., we we say that we love Jesus enough to come to church at 2 p.m., totally off schedule. We brave ice and snow to do it. And so, if you love me, here's what he says, you will keep my commands. And notice there, he doesn't just say the ones you really like to keep, the ones that are easy to keep, the ones that are convenient, the ones that don't really step on your toes too much. No, it's just my commands, period. In other words, whatever I have commanded you, if you love me, you're going to keep that. You're going to obey that. You're going to follow through and apply to your life what I tell you to do. Uh, elsewhere, Jesus actually said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands and so prove to be my disciples. You'll show you actually are my, my genuine followers. You really do believe in me. So love is demonstrated By our obedience. 1 John 5 3 says this For this is what love for God is. In other words, this is what loving God actually looks like. You say you love God, great, great. Here's how it's going to be proven in your life. This is what it is to keep his commands. And again, that's all of it. It's all of it. There's no exception, there's no out there. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And notice what else it says. And his commands are not a burden. His commands are not a burden, contrary to what the enemy tries to convince us of all the time. And it's what he's been trying to convince us of from the very beginning. Uh, In the Garden of Eden, after he said, did God really say... To Adam and Eve. When he caused them to question the command that uh, Eve was very quick to recite back to him, uh, after he got her to question, he then went further and said, "Okay, um, yeah, I think you got that command right. What God said: don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here's what you aren't understanding, little Eve." This command that you're so quick to recite and saying you want to abide by, you need to understand something, God's just holding you back. It's just a weight around your neck. It's weighing you down and keeping you back from reaching your full potential. It's keeping you from ultimate fulfillment. It's holding you back and restricting you from absolute freedom. That's what this is all about. This command that God imposed on you, yeah, I know, it's just one little command, but Eve, 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 you need to understand, he's jealous. He's insecure in his divinity. He doesn't want your eyes to be opened. He doesn't want you really finding absolute fulfillment, and that's what's going to happen if you go to that tree. It's a weight keeping you back and holding you down, Eve. Eve. And ever since then, the enemy comes along, and in every age, and in every group of people, he says the same thing, and he spins the same lie. And he tries to get us convinced that the commands of our good God are actually just weights around our neck, dragging us down, 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 further away from fulfillment and freedom. When in actuality, God's commands and obeying those commands are the ultimate source of freedom and the only source of real freedom and the only source of real fulfillment that any of us could ever find. Life is found in keeping God's commands. Purpose is found in keeping God's commands. Hope and freedom and satisfaction and joy, it's all found in keeping God's commands. They are not a burden at all. They're quite the opposite. What we find every time that we make that choice that is before us every moment of every day when we choose, yes, I will obey, as opposed to no, I will not, when we obey God, when we obey His Word, any of us who have walked with God any length of time know this to be true, that obedience to God and His Word never, ever hold us back from anything good But disobedience always will. Disobedience is what restricts. Disobedience is what constrains. Disobedience is what really truly limits. Disobedience is what robs us of fulfillment and freedom. It's not obedience. Obedience never holds us back from anything good that God has for us. We need to believe that. We need to remember that. The other thing that I absolutely believe uh causes us to feel weighed down by God's good, perfect commands that, that makes us feel that they are a burden, which first John 5 3 says they're they're clearly not. But when we feel that and when we struggle against that, I really believe it's because we have a wrong perception of obedience. We're looking at obedience the wrong way. Often, very easily, but very wrongly, We view obedience as the necessary means for God's love and favor in our lives. We view obeying God as what is required for Him to approve of us, for Him to have favor on our lives, for us to really have that strong, close, personal relationship that we all want and that we all need. We tie it directly to our performance in obedience. You know, when I'm obeying God, when I'm obeying His Word, man, that love meter, it's all the way up. God really loves me. And He really likes me, too. He's proud of me, and He approves of me. And we're good. And I'm secure in Him, in my relationship with Him. But, uh-oh, if I don't obey all the time, if I don't obey perfectly, when I, when I do choose disobedience, which we all will, from time to time, as humans, saved though we are, we're still in a fallen human skin, you know, or we have dual identity, we're saved and we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, but we're also still rooted in flesh, here in, in this, this sin-soaked environment, in a sin-soaked body. So yeah, we're going to disobey from time to time, unfortunately, as foolish as it is, And when that happens, when we know we've done that, it's like, oh, uh uh-oh, that love meter is going down. That approval meter is going down. Uh Uh-oh, I don't have as much favor from God as I did. My relationship with him is not secure anymore. Oh, no, he doesn't like me anymore. That's what we do so often. And even teach other people that that's how you need to view it. but my friends we need to understand that we don't we don't obey for love we obey god as believers as ones who have been made new in christ we obey out of love not to be loved that needs to be very much grounded in our hearts and our minds the way we view our obedience. We need to view it through that lens. That yes, we should obey. Yes, it should be a passion in our hearts. Yes, it should be what we pursue. We should treasure obedience to God. But we need to do so out of love for Him. Not in effort to be loved. Because get this, get this into your minds, believer. Get this down into your heart. If you are in Christ today, you are eternally loved. You are completely loved. You are completely held in favor by God the Father. Your relationship with Him is secure forever. And it's not because of anything that you and I do or don't do. It's not tied to our performance on either side of that. We can't gain any more of God's love than we have right this moment, no matter how much we obey or no matter how lacking our obedience might be. Now, that doesn't mean disobedience is a good thing. That doesn't mean disobedience is okay. That doesn't mean it doesn't have any consequence. It does. It affects our relationship with God. But here's the thing. You've got to hear me on this. It does not destroy it. Our sin, our disobedience, it's a bad thing. It affects our relationship with God. It's a violation and an offense against a holy God. It's serious stuff. But know this that if you are in Christ, your salvation and your relationship with that holy God and your love from him and your favor that you can enjoy and rest in from him. It's not tied to doing or not doing. It's tied to who Jesus is and what he did for you. That's the beauty and the power and the freedom of the gospel. That doesn't mean that we wrongly Say what Paul had to address in Romans to those that said, Oh, good, we've got all this grace, this beautiful, amazing grace of God that does free us and keeps us secure. We can just sin so that grace can abound. Paul said, No, 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 God forbid. May it never be. It's not the way we look at it. We are motivated to pursue holiness We are motivated to pursue righteousness. We are motivated to obey because of grace, because of love. When we realize how much we're loved, when we realize the security in that love, when we realize and remember that Jesus left heaven to come to a cross for us, to take our sins on himself, to give us the forgiveness that we all need, At the cross, and then perpetually afterward, every moment, every day of our lives, when we understand that, we understand the weight of that, we understand that my being loved and accepted by the Father isn't tied to me or what I do or don't do. It's all tied to Jesus Christ. And we understand that He gives us His righteousness, He gives us His favor before the Father, He gives us His full acceptance by the Father. He puts that over on us. That's our motivation. That's why we obey. That's why we should treasure obedience out of love, not to be loved. you see the difference there? You understand that? That needs to be what we keep in mind. And if we view it that way, along with viewing the fact that God's commands are not burdensome, they're not a weight weighing us down, they're actually the source of freedom and fulfillment, when you put that together, man, God's commands... Really do become a joy and a delight, like David says in Psalm 19. They really are sweeter than any honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. They really are more precious to us than gold, even much fine gold. We realize, as David said in Psalm 19, by them, by your commands, your servant is warned and kept and protected, just like a good parent does with a child. No, don't go into the street. That will cause you harm. No, don't play with fire. That will cause you harm. I'm not keeping you from fulfillment in life I'm trying to preserve your life we'll see it the same way we'll view God's commands in that light and we'll say with David in keeping them your commands there is great reward it's all about perspective it's all about seeing it the right way and understanding what God's commands really are there for understanding what's really available to us in keeping them and understanding why we keep them All out of love, because we are forever loved even though we shouldn't be, even though we don't deserve it. All that being said, the question is, what does obedience look like? I mean, we understand now the importance of it. We understand why we should be passionate about obedience, why we should treasure it, how to look at it, the right perspective. But what does it actually look like on a practical level? And I mean, we could go on and on with this. I mean, we would be here until the next Sunday, regular time, right? Looking at all the different examples of obedience and what obedience looks like. But I want to zero in on one passage that really gives us a great summary list of what it means to walk in obedience. What obedience actually looks like for the believer. And this is something that is applicable to us as a whole church, And families and individuals. Because it's really all the same. We wrongly segment the way we look at things. We you know we we have these these compartments. Well, over here is church life, over here is personal life, over here is work life, right? We separate it often. We segment that out. That's not how it should be. Believer. What we do here together as a church, what we're doing right now, should be the natural continuation and overflow of what we do already all week long. The songs we sing in worship and the lives that we live in worship together here should be the same as what we do when we go out those doors and go back home, and the same when we go into the workplace. It should all be the same way of living. Therefore, what we see in God's word is applicable and relevant to every aspect of life. Right? You agree? Okay, good. I'm glad you do. So in that mindset, look at Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12, we'll look at uh, down to verse 14. Here's what the Apostle Paul there says. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, he's talking to believers, to us, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, there's that Great promise and reality that love from God that is secure and perfect and forever uh, because it's tied to the person and the work of Jesus, not to us. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on... Think of like putting on a, putting on a shirt. You're putting on this, this thing around yourself. You're wrapping yourself up in this. Put on, wrap yourself up in compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, all of which we see perfectly in the person of Jesus. Think Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped after, but in humility emptied himself, taking on to himself the form of a servant, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. That's our example, and that's what we should pursue. These things, compassion, kindness, humility, thinking of others higher and better than ourselves, putting their needs and interests ahead, gentleness, patience, bearing with, now verse 13, bearing with one another and Forgiving one another. Why is this in here? He's talking to saved ones. He's talking to the dear loved ones, the chosen ones. Shouldn't they have this down? Shouldn't they not need to be reminded about these things? Shouldn't they already know to be gentle and compassionate and kind and humble? Shouldn't they not need to be admonished to bear with one another? You know what that really means? Put up with one another, hang in there with one another, give each other a break. Forgive one another? I mean, why does Paul need to remind the saved ones of these things and remind them of the importance of it? Why do we need to be reminded of these things today? Well, it's because even though we have been made new and have been given you know, new life and we have the Holy Spirit in us as believers, life together is still messy. Because... You're still a fallen, sinful human being, and I'm still a fallen, human, sinful being, and we're in this thing together. You throw a bunch of saved sinners together, and there's still that second part, the sinner part. And it's still entirely possible for us to have short fuses with one another, isn't it? It's really still entirely possible to get impatient with one another. It's entirely possible to not feel like maybe being as kind as we should be. It's entirely possible and easy to get offended, right? And wow, what it is that we often get offended by, how little it takes to offend us. It's really quite amazing, isn't it? If you really think about it. Come on, it's... it's Almost three in the afternoon, people. You should not be this sleepy. What is wrong? Come on. Is it amazing or not how we can be offended at such little things? What do you think? Good answer. All right, you're playing along. We'll have prizes at the door. Although not really. We really won't. There's nothing. Nada. You can forgive me for that. Life is messy, and doing life together, interacting with one another, it's hard. It's hard work. Relationships are not for the faint of heart. They're very messy, and they have the potential to cause great hurt. So that's why even those that are in Christ and should know better, granted, That's why we still need these types of reminders and these admonitions to bear with one another, to forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, and then here's our our pattern, here's our standard with that. Okay, so we're supposed to bear with one another, we're supposed to forgive one another. To what degree? To what point? What do we compare our forgiveness against? Well, here's what it tells us, and the bar is high. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Wow. Think about how much you've been forgiven by God. Think about the, the lengths he went to, the extent he went to to forgive you and me. Putting his son on the cross for us. He took all of our rebellion and all of our sin and all of our selfishness and he put it all on his son and he judged his son instead of you and instead of me giving us the righteousness of his son giving us the love for his son for us when we shouldn't deserve it and going farther than that he adopted us into his own family calling us sons and daughters. There is no excuse then, no out for any of us to say, no, I cannot, will not forgive so and so for such and such. We can't do it because we have been forgiven infinitely more than anyone ever should be forgiven. We do not deserve the forgiveness that we know and enjoy through Jesus Christ. And therefore, we cannot, cannot, cannot hold our forgiveness back from anyone, no matter what. This does not say, bear with one another, forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against another, unless it's blank. Up to this offense. No, it's just forgive, period. Doesn't matter what they've done, said, caused. Oh, you just don't know what they said to me. It doesn't matter. You don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. But it doesn't matter. And that's not being callous. That's not being unfeeling. That's being biblical. Jesus told his disciples when they said, how much should I forgive? How about this level? That's good, right? Seven times. That's good. He said, no, 70 times seven, which was the same way saying infinitely. And they were like, what? He says, yeah, yeah, that's my standard. Every time you're tempted to hold back your forgiveness, think about what you've been forgiven and how much you've been forgiven and how much it cost for your forgiveness. That's your measuring. Then lastly, verse 14, above all, so there's that great list, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on gentleness, put on humility, put on patience, bear with one another, forgive one another, If anybody has a grievance, no matter what, there's that great list. That's all examples and and aspects of obedience that we're to pursue, that we're to exemplify and demonstrate in our lives. Then he says this, above all, above all that, put on. There's that put on again. So we've already put on the, the undergarment, the shirt of all those things. Now it's like we're putting on a coat over top of that. We're wrapping ourselves up in this. Above all, put on love. And this word love, that's the word agape, which is limitless love, divine love, God love, which is only possible in the empowerment of God, which you and I have in the Holy Spirit if we're in Christ. Above all, put on God's love, which is the perfect bond of unity which we are all to pursue, believer. That's what Jesus said would mark us as different from the world. That's what he said would show the world that he is who he says he is. When we say we believe in Jesus, he is our Savior, they'll know that's true and needed in their life when they see our unity together. And it's all tied up in, in love. Obedience to God and his word never holds us back from anything good but disobedience always will. So here's what all this means for us today. We know when we fail to measure up to this list. We know when we have things lacking in our lives in this way. I mean, when we know, for example, um, that there's something that we're harboring in our hearts, we know. We know that. We know when we're bitter towards someone. We know when we have resentment in our hearts towards a fellow believer. We know when there's tension there. I mean. Come on, let's just be real. We know that, we feel that. When there's something against in your heart and your mind with another believer, and they have something against you, it's it's obvious. And we like to try to pretend that it's not there, right? We try to just lift up the rug, sweep it under, pretend everything's good. We kind of just look the other way. We go the other way when, when they're there. And the really sad thing is, we do this every single Sunday. As the body of Christ, we all do it. In every church in America, there's this symptom, which is undealt with sin the sin of bitterness, the sin of anger, the sin of unforgiveness. And we harbor it, and we excuse it, and we try to ignore it. All the while, it's sin that eats away at the body like a cancer. In church, God will never fully bless any church that harbors those types of things, that harbors bitterness, that harbors resentment, that harbors anger that harbors ill will that that allows for a lack of compassion one with another that allows for a lack of kindness that allows for a lack of gentleness because none of that is christ-like so how could the lord jesus the head of the church honor and glorify and bless and use a, a segment of his body that is contrary to him he can't and he won't and that's just one example that we all can identify with because from time to time it's true And I'm willing willing to bet that that is true, at least in some form and in some way, here. So, I'm going to give you all, all of us, a homework assignment. At some point, and I would recommend today, I mean, it's snowy, it's icy, you don't really have a lot of places to go, I would imagine. And even if you do, just start today while it's fresh Set aside some time where it's just you and God. And if you already know about something in your heart and your mind that is contrary to this list in Colossians three twelve through 14 and, and hey, read it again, okay? Get with the Word of God, get with God, read through this list and say, all right, God, show me in my heart and mind what is lacking or missing in my life, what I am in violation of with this list here this list of obedience that should mark my life. And again, chances are you're going to already know, and he's going to say something like, well, you know what, what it is, and do something really bold and courageous, especially on that, that which you know already or that which he very clearly reveals to you in that time as you ask him in all sincerity and in all honesty to do. He will do it. So when he he shows you in your mind or your heart, when he shines light on those areas, do something about it. Don't just sit with it. When God brings someone to your mind that you have negativity towards or cynicism towards or criticism towards, that that spirit that's not Christ-like, when he gives you that name of that person or reminds you of the name you already know, pick up your phone, call that person, say, hey... In the message today I was reminded about this and this and this and I want to just confess this to you I have been viewing you in this way I have been thinking towards you in this way I've been having this this anger this bitterness this unforgiveness in my heart and spirit towards you will you forgive me please my brother my sister And if we would all do that if I mean I'm not saying everyone needs to do that but If we need to do that, if that's true of us and we would actually do that, just imagine, just picture the weight that will come off your heart and the absolute guarantee of of God's blessing and refreshment and healing that will take place, not just in your life, but in the life of our church. Because it will be obedience that we're pursuing and treasuring. And that's just one example. There's other things that I am sure that we don't know about, but that the Spirit of God does, that's lacking and missing and wrong in our lives. And so for those things, I want you just to get with God and say, okay, here's what I know about, here's what what you have confirmed, I, I thought this was probably true of me, and you've just affirmed this to me, God, thank you. Is there anything else? Invite him just to Go through every corner of your heart and your mind and your life. Do what David said in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. See if there is any offensive way in me. Get rid of it. Lead me in the way everlasting, the way I need to be going. Make that that your prayer. Make that your desire, but make that your willingness to actually obey when he does it. And start today. And let's make this a, a habit and a pattern of our lives. Let's do this regularly. We're all about accountability partners, you know, and, and that's a very trendy thing and it has been for a while. Find an accountability partner. And that's good. I love it. I'm all for accountability partners to keep each other, you know, in, in your human relationships, a fellow brother, a fellow sister in Christ, to keep your life accountable. We need that. I'm all for it. I do that myself. But let's not ever, ever, believer, substitute the divine accountability partner we have in the Holy Spirit for another human. And let's invite him to just do the work he needs to do in our hearts, in our lives, for the sake of our well-being, internally, personally, spiritually, for the sake of our fellow brothers and sisters, for the sake of our church. Let's do this. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it we find everything we need. I thank you that in your commands there is life, there is freedom, there is fulfillment, there is joy. It's not burdensome, Father. Your commands are not burdensome. They are not heavy. We may think of them that way wrongly. We may wrongly hear the the lie of the enemy to that effect. Oh, the the commands of God are, they're just going to sap you of life. They're going to rob you of enjoyment. They're going to rob you of fulfillment. And we need to reject those lies and recognize them as that. Help us to do that. Help us and keep us from from viewing obedience to you in the wrong way as something that we have to do to earn your love when we already have your love forever fully in the person and work of Christ because of what he did for us. So help us not to obey for love or to be loved but to obey out of love knowing we are loved. But Father, even further than that help us To treasure obedience so much that we're willing to do the hard thing. That we're willing to have that awkward conversation that we should have had a long time ago. That we're willing to admit and confess to our fellow believer, I have sinned against God, but I've also sinned against you in this way. Forgive me, please. Help us to be willing to do that. And, and, in whatever area in whatever aspect of disobedience we need to acknowledge and admit and get rid of, help us to do that. Help us to start today in that, and let what is started today carry over into tomorrow and in the day after and the day after, so that we would be defined by obedience, that we would be a people here in this place that truly treasures obedience to you, showing we treasure your word and treasure you and I pray this all. By the power of the Spirit in us. And I pray this all in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.